Twin Cities Orthopedics is proud to be the official sports medicine provider for Tommy Athletics. TCO is trusted by some of the biggest names in sports, and they bring that same level of care to our athletes. Thank you, TCO, for being a part of our team. Visit TCOMN.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to Tommy Talks, the weekly podcast bringing you inside St. Thomas Athletics, where we'll get to know those who wear the purple and gray. I'm Corbu Status, and this week our guest is Rico Blasi, head men's hockey coach. We talk about taking a program from Division Three to Division One in a state full of talent and competition, how we got into coaching, how it's going in year two, and much more. You can subscribe to Tommy Talks wherever you get your podcasts, and if you love it, please give us a five-star rating. Now, here's our conversation with Rico Blasi on another edition of Tommy Talks. Rico, welcome to the podcast. One of the things that we always start off with for the student-athletes is why they chose St. Thomas. And for coaches, it's a little different. Uh, You get hired, but you chose to come to St. Thomas to build a program. So tell us what drew you to that. Uh, I think first and foremost, just the the you know the more I I did my research on St. Thomas and the people here and um, the mission of the university and and um, you know the the Catholic faith uh, really attracted me to um, to pursue it a little bit and to find out what what it really meant to be here at St. Thomas and um, as the process went along, um, I just felt real comfortable with Phil and uh, his vision for athletics and. Um, and what my beliefs and my values were growing up from being a first-generation Italian, um, you know, living in a Catholic household, and uh, where that was pretty much our uh, our go-to every every day. So, um, all those things really came together, and um, and then you know, starting a program, the transition from Division Three, where you know there was so much success and and such a great history uh, in hockey. And to be able to build it at the Division One level um, was certainly something that uh, uh, got the juices flowing, and something that um, I wanted to do. And uh, you know, talking with my family and and some of the mentors that I've had over the years, um, uh, felt like I could uh, I could be a, a small part of the building process, and it would be fun. And knowing it would be a lot of work, um, yeah. and there would be some tough days, and some tough losses and some tough uh, recruiting battles, but uh, in the end, something that we can build that everybody will be proud of and something that will be sustainable over time. Was it an easier decision to make, granted, uh, given that you had not coached over the last year and a half, you had left left Miami and you had spent some time as an administrator rather than going from being a head coach at a very established program and then moving to a, a startup, so to speak. Yeah, I think, you know, that year off that uh, I had to kind of get away from the game and just kind of observe and, uh, you know, reflect on best practices and reflect on some things that didn't work so well and uh, just appreciate the the opportunity that you have to coach, uh, you know, the game that you love and, and be able to to be a small part of these young student athletes lives and make a difference in some way, um, was really important. It was also important. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time, uh, but important for me to take a step back and just be with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my wife and my two daughters, they unfortunately take the brunt of a lot of, uh, bad days and, and they don't see me on the good days, you know, as a coach, you, 
the, the bad days are bad and the good days you're excited about getting back and you don't see anybody. You're, you're so focused on what you're doing. And so, um, uh, both those aspects in, in my life were really important for me to take a step back and reconnect with my family, understand the, the, the price that we pay as coaches to, to do what we do. And we love to do it. I haven't, you know, I wouldn't want to do anything else, but, right. um, but that was an important piece because I think it re-energized me to, to take on something like this. And, and then I got an opportunity to be an administrator, uh, something I'd never done before. And, um, you know, again, talking to some of my mentors and, and, thinking that I might not get back into coaching, this would be a good opportunity for me to make a difference in a different way mm-hmm. um, and and help and, and you know, maybe educate some younger coaches and, and things like that. So that, that year was important for me as well. It was learning the other side of the business, um, having to say no to coaches when they ask for things. That's, right. that's not easy. Um, <laughs> And you're the boss, so you you have to do that. I think Phil appreciates that now because I don't ask him for anything because uh, I know I don't want to hear <laughs> I don't want to hear no. But um, so yeah, I think you know Joel Maturi, who hired me at Miami, mm-hmm. um, who's a great person, a great AD, always told me everything happens for a reason, and I've always kept that in the back of my mind that you know, no matter what happens, everything happens for a reason. And you just got to go with it and you got to take the blessings that come with it. And whether it's good or bad, it's happening for, for a specific reason. You got to deal with it and you got to move on. Did you reach out to Joel? Cause he's still in the area here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you reach out to him when you're talking, thinking about St. Thomas? Absolutely. He was, uh, very instrumental in, in, um, uh, talking about St. Thomas and, um, obviously Phil worked for him at the U and, and so there's a connection there. Um, you know, Joel and Lois Maturi are godparents to my eldest daughter. So, oh, wow. so we're family. And, and yeah. so obviously what he says is very important to me and I take to heart. Um, he's been great for me over the years, not only giving me an opportunity to be a head coach, but he was also our AD when I was an assistant at Denver. So, uh, he's seen, he's seen the assistant coach Rico growing from a 22 year old that couldn't rent a car as an assistant coach <laughs> and, uh, to a head coach at Miami and now here at St. Thomas. So we're, uh, very close in that, and and you know his mentorship has meant a lot to me over the years. Yeah, he's going to start to think you're following him. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, what would you say to Rico Blasi at the age of 27? That's when you be- first became a head coach, right? Youngest head coach in NCAA. When you look back at it now, what advice would you give to yourself then? Probably to appreciate the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at 27, you're you're really. Uh, it was almost like you were fighting everybody. Yeah. You know, you had to prove yourself. And so every step of the way you had your guard up, every step of the way you were thinking somebody's out to get you. Um, instead of just going and believing in what you, you know, want to get across to the players, love the players, uh, enjoy the moment because it doesn't last forever. Yeah. And, um, and those players deserve that. Those student athletes deserve your attention. They deserve your best. And so I would probably start with that to enjoy the moment and be be present for them. Um, it's funny you ask that because as the years have, have gone by and we used to have alumni weekends, some of those players that I coached on those first teams, I would always take them aside 
and say, I'm sorry. And they'd say, coach, why, why are you saying I'm sorry? I said, because I'm a way better coach now than I was back then. And I don't, I feel like I did you a disservice. Interesting. You know? Um, but that's how I felt because you're yeah. trying to, you know, I remember back even the first recruiting call I ever made, uh, you know, they, the question was, well, why should I play for a 27 year old? What do you know about the game? Right. Um, and I'm thinking, well, who told you to say that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was thinking somebody else already got to, got yeah. to that young man yeah. and, and said, don't play for Rico. He's only 27. He doesn't know anything. Right. Uh, but that was the mentality. And, and you know, looking back to maybe that's the way he needed to be the first few years because we needed to establish ourselves. Um, uh, so no regrets, uh, but probably done a little bit differently. Yeah, that really is the gift of getting older, though, isn't it, is perspective and the ability to look around it and enjoy where you're at. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, and it's tough. Yeah. It's tough when you're in the heat of the moment. For it's sure. It's tough when you're challenged. Uh, it's tough when you're trying to prove yourself, you know, and, uh, thankfully I had Mr. Maturi there for me and yeah. he helped me a lot through the years. And, um, you know, then he left to go to the U and, and I was lucky enough to have Brad Bates, uh, who was a great AD as well. Uh, but then he left and went to Boston college. So, um, just been really f lucky to have good people, um, as mentors mm -hmm. and as people that I respect that, that, uh, you know, have given me good advice. When you were done playing or as you were nearing the end of your collegiate career, was it always going to be coaching for you? Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever told this story, but George Guazdecki, who I played for, um, the year I graduated, uh, Miami and, and he had taken the Denver job that summer. Yeah. And I remember walking with him on campus cause I was working hockey camp, on campus to make a little extra money before I tried playing some pro hockey. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking with George and, and I don't know what we were talking about. Um, but it, I felt like our relationship as a, a player coach had just kind of shifted to now I'm an alum. I'm not playing for him anymore. Conversation shifted a little bit. And yeah. It was a little bit different. It was look kind of eerie to be honest with you. You know, yeah. here's a guy you play for for four years. You're, on pins and needles every time he's walking, walks in the room. <laughs> yeah. um, you don't want him to call your number or you do want him to call your number, whatever it may be, right? right. So he said to me, Rico, you ever think about coaching? I said, not really. Uh, I said, but, you know, I'll think about it. But right now I'm focused on trying to play pro hockey. Mm -hmm. He said, well, you know, you should do that. And I don't know if he was telling me that you're not big enough or good enough to play pro hockey. You should get into coaching. <laughs> or he really meant maybe you should get into coaching when you're done playing. So uh -huh. I didn't think anything of it. I went on and tried to play some pro hockey. Um, and when that didn't work out, my first call was to George for advice. And, um, you know, so he gave me his, his advice. My dad gave me his, um, you know, his two cents. So I decided to to hang him up as a player and and go back home and live in Toronto with my mom and dad and try to figure out what the next step was going to be. Yeah, the junior team that I was playing for um, was looking for an assistant coach, and and so here I am, 22 years old with nothing really to do. Yeah, uh, ended up becoming an assistant coach on the junior team. Well, fast forward, George is recruiting one of our players to play at Denver. George comes into town, says, hey, do you remember the conversation we had 
now about six, seven months ago. Yeah. I said, yeah, I remember. He goes, well, why don't you come to Denver and be my volunteer and, and take some graduate work and we'll get you, we'll get you going. I said, sure, let's do it. Okay. Uh, and that's really how it started. Wow. So then five years later, you go from not even sure you want to coach to being a head coach. Yeah, it just happened really quick. Uh, you know, the, the, the program at Denver was uh, pretty high up there. We, we had a top 10 team. Uh, yeah. We were a post away from going on the Frozen Four. We had won the WCHA beating North Dakota, who was the number one team in the country in 99. And... We were going. We were rolling. We were moving into a new building at Denver, and yeah, uh, things were exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I had no worries. I met my my wife, and we were engaged. And I mean, things couldn't have been any better at at twenty seven for us at Denver. And um, all of a sudden, this Miami job opens up uh, in June, and I remember calling Coach, and and George said, "Well, you should put your name in it." Probably not going to get it. Yeah. You're 27, but it's good experience to get an interview. Plus, you know who the AD is. It's right. Joel Maturi, who was our AD at Denver for two years. So, uh, so that's what I did. So Joel was kind enough to give me a phone interview, which I think I bombed, <laughs> um, and and that was okay because there were yeah. some questions there that I had never really thought about, right? Um, and so I went back to George and said, you know. I, I appreciate you putting my name in and talking to Joel, but you know, I'm pretty sure I bombed the the interview and some of the questions I just had no clue what he was asking. Right. But I'd like to learn. So here are the questions. What do we what does he mean by this? What should I be looking for five years down the road or whatever? So we talked a little bit about that and so now that was June. July I hear rumors and in the hockey world that, yeah. you know, a couple of guys decided that, that they were going to get offered the job and they didn't, didn't take the Miami job. So now we're talking, it's August. Yeah. And there's probably like three or four guys that have turned the job down for whatever reason, have no idea. Um, never asked Joel, never, right. didn't really care at the time either. Yeah. But now we're about a week away from starting school and they don't have a head coach. And I understand from now you know, Joel telling me years later that there were a bunch of assistant coaches and I was the only alum in the, in the group. And, uh, so I got a call, I was out recruiting one of our players for Denver and got a call from Joel's secretary asking me to set up a, a call that he wanted to talk to me about the job. And I said, okay, well now I have the history of these questions that he asked me the first time. Right. Um, so I'm calling George. I'm like, he's going to ask me this again. What do I need to say? All this stuff. And so we prepared and then after that phone call, he, he uh, called me back a few hours later, said, I want you to come to campus. This all happened within about 48 hours. So I went to campus, a um, place I just graduated from, so I was yeah. familiar with some of the people there. Yeah. Uh, actually met with a professor that I had uh, who was on the committee and uh, associate AD and Joel, uh, who I was comfortable with. Right. And so we went through the process and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this couldn't have gone any better. I mean, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I'm not going to be really worry about yeah, it. Yeah. You're that much better for it. That much better for it. So I think I 
call George on the way home from the airport. In those days, we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> right. He had to find a quarter. So I, had, I had my calling card, and I was calling uh, George from the payphone at the airport in Cincinnati. And I uh, said, I just finished. Uh, I think it went okay. I, I'm not sure which way coaches – I call Coach Maturi, Coach Maturi. So yeah. I said, I don't know which way coach is going to go, but really thankful that I was, had the opportunity to go to campus and share my thoughts and things like that. And George goes, oh, okay, well. Well, we'll just see what happens. I'll see you Monday. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Monday morning comes around, and I get this call at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning from Joel. He's like, are you sitting down? I said, do I need to be sitting down? <laughs> yeah. And he offered me the Miami job. By the time I called George back, he said he had known Saturday night that I was going to get the job. So he kept it the secret. But yeah. um, So really, that's kind of how it happened. Um I don't know if it's an interesting story, <laughs> but that's my story. Yeah. Um, and so when I say everything had to happen and, and and everything happens for a reason, things needed to happen the way they did. Right. And we moved to Oxford. I lived with Joel Maturi for a month in his house because uh, I didn't have anywhere to live. Yeah. Um, it was that late in, in the process. And uh, my wife and I moved there. Or my wife moved uh, to Oxford in late September, early October, and rest is history. Yeah. What an interesting time, too, and timing, I should say, because what the season starts in October, right? Yeah. So now you have to keep all of those recruits, if they had any recruits, find new ones. Yeah. I mean, so that probably not too dissimilar from trying to move a program from D3 to D1 in some ways. Well, it was. it's very similar, in the, and I remember Coach Maturi saying – two things you can't do. You can't change assistant coaches and you're stuck with your team. So deal yeah. with it. And so we had to deal with it. Um, and, you know, here it was a little bit different. We had a division three team. Um, the way we do things at St. Thomas is, is I think pretty special in first class. We didn't want to do too much in the first year. We wanted to make sure we honored those D three guys. Right. Cause they had put a lot of time and effort into it. And I think it was the right thing to do. Um, and so we, we kept them and we, you know, we focused on trying to get better as a program, establish the culture, establish the kind of the priorities and what we we're going to do and how we're going to build it. And those guys are really special to us, uh, special to me because they went through a lot yeah. last year, you know, and, and unfairly, uh, sometimes getting beat pretty bad. Yeah. And it's not because they didn't work hard. It's not because they didn't care. It's just a matter of circumstance. And so... Um, you know, it was, so it's a little bit similar and a little bit different in, in that regard. But, um, but I would say that we, you know, going back to last year, there were a lot of things that, you know, I would go back into my memory bank in terms of what we did at Miami those first few years to try to make sure we remembered that and, and we don't make the same mistake Yeah, and make sure you're still establishing that culture and that, that, uh, you know, that, that priority of what's important for the program. It seems like here in year two that that foundation has really helped propel you here in this second year. How have you guys made that leap forward so far? Well, you know, not to get in too many uh, in, in the weeds with all this, but it was really important last year that we had established the, the, the basis of what our culture was going to be. And we had some players that were going to not only be carried over to this year, but be able to carry that message through. So that was the number one thing that we tried to do last year, establish a work ethic, establish the way a standard of, of what we're going to do, how we're going to speak, 
what was important, what the process was going to be, and then be able to carry that over to year two. And then our job as coaches is to go out and recruit to that. Mm-hmm. And so we did that. We, we recruited 12 freshmen. We recruited five transfers that we felt that could be uh, not only – uh, in terms of the freshmen, the cornerstone of our program and, and the foundation of our program, but also believed in what we were doing. So you don't have to sell them on that message. Right. The five transfers were guys that were really good people, good character guys that could help us continue to grow the message and continue to grow the culture. And so that's where we are right now. I think we're in a really good place in terms of uh, our culture of faith and brother, mm-hmm. uh, the responsibility that it takes to be a brother, um, the uh, work ethic that it takes to to be a brother, the things that we do on and off the ice that uh, it takes. And you have to have that trust in your brother. Otherwise, the team doesn't work, right? Um, and so uh, right now, I think what you see is a team that plays really, really hard, plays together. Um, we're really close in terms of outcomes, but that's not the necessary uh that ne- that's not necessarily the, the thing that we hang our hat on. It's the process. And it's hard because in our world, everybody looks at outcomes, right? Yeah, right. Uh, we know that the lessons that we've learned over the years, that everything happens for a reason, the outcomes will be there at some point. But we have to have that foundation. Um, and so, you know, the fact that we've lost 11 goals by one goal or less, or two goals or less, doesn't really factor into it. But it's really important for us as a coaching staff to make sure that our guys know that we're not just close, we belong. Mm, That stat tells us we belong. Right. So now you have to take it to another step. You have to be fully committed and engaged in what we're doing. And I think you're starting to see the evolution of where we're going to be here in the next few years. Yeah. That all makes sense on paper, right? And absolutely. But you're dealing with human beings, and human beings want to win. Right. Like, like we just do, right? So it's got to be nice when those results do finally start to come in, when you do get a victory like you did at Michigan Tech, where those two goals, those close games become you finally get to the cigar rather than no cigar. Uh, no question. And it's hard. It's hard on us as coaches too, yeah. right? Because you you're in it, and all of a sudden you're like, why are we not winning these games? And so you have to continue to – to remind yourself. And sometimes it takes others to remind you. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, I had a conversation with Phil in, uh, early November. Um, let's just say it was, it was, it was to the point and it was a good reminder for me of what we're doing here Yeah, because I got caught up in the, in the, in, in the mess. Right. I right. got caught up being a human being and saying that we're close and I don't understand why we're not winning these games. And, Um, so it happens to all of us. Um, and, uh, that's when you need people around you. That's when you need a good staff. That's when you need, uh, good leadership. Um, and, and a little reminder here and there is never a bad thing, but we're building something special here. And, um, I see it every day in practice. Uh, I see the way our guys conduct themselves. I mean, we got a three, four, two GPA last semester. That's really good. That's you know, I've had good teams where we've had 3.0, yeah. but not 3.4. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a credit to our guys buying into our culture and buying into what's important. Because to win at St. Thomas, I keep telling our guys this, I don't, you know, you could go to XYZ school and just focus on hockey and do whatever you want. I don't care. And they'll win. Yeah. And it's okay. That's the way they want to do it. 
That's not the way we do it here at St. Thomas. Yeah. When you come to St. Thomas, we're going to do it the right way, and we're going to make sure that we develop the entire person and we, we're student-athletes. We're going to win in the classroom, and we're going to win on the ice. Yeah, and it's uh, bearing out on both sides. you got to have those brothers too, right? Like on the coaching staff of the team, everybody. 100%. you yeah. got to have the trust in the guy next to you because, you know, as much as everybody talks and wants to be a support person for you, the only people that are there every day is the yeah. guy next to you and the guy across from you. Right. They're going through it every day. They're the ones skating. They're the ones getting yelled at because they're not doing something. They're the ones that have to do the, you know, I'll just say suicides because everybody will know what a suicide is right? Yeah. in terms of basketball, yep. going running up and down the, the court. Well, we do stuff like that in hockey too, right? Nobody else is in the building. There's yeah. no fans in the building. There's no parents in the building. There's no, you know, family advisors in the building. It's the team. It's your brother. It's yeah. us. And we're the ones going through it. So if you don't have that trust level to be able to get through those things, um, then you're never going to be successful. And this goes on beyond sports, right? 100%. I, I think if you talk to any athlete well beyond their years in terms of being an athlete, the thing that they remember the most is the time in the locker room, the mm -hmm. time together. They don't talk about championships or, you know, the games. They talk about that, that feeling that they had in the locker room where they know they went out and accomplished something. Yeah, that that is a you know something that I think athletes try to replicate the rest of their lives and never get there. Right. It's why I'm still in coaching, <laughs> right? Right. Because we still get that feeling every yeah. day. When you can get the feeling of even if it's ten people in in your work group all pulling in the same direction, there's no feeling like it. Like I remember playing high school baseball. We were making a run for a state championship, and I remember the practice the very practice, that moment where it felt like we came together as a team. And, and that was 30 years ago. Right. And I still remember that practice. I mean, that's a powerful thing. You know what I remember? I remember walking in the locker room and feeling that, that, that taste of metal in your mouth because mm -hmm. you just worked so hard beyond what you even thought you could. Yeah. And it just, and I don't even know how to describe it, but it tastes like metal yeah. in your mouth. And, um, I'll never forget that. But that's yeah. because all of us went through something, you know, that, you know, all of a sudden your well, coach is going to skate you. Oh, how are we going to get through this thing? Yeah. We just practiced for an hour. Now right. we got to do this, you know, and then I got to go to class. Yeah. What do, how are we going to get this done? And we do. We get it done. We get it done together. Yeah. And it's, it's just a great feeling. Uh, it had to be a great feeling. Uh, finding out about the new arena. You you guys knew ahead of time, but they <laughs> yeah. announced it this week, the new uh, basketball and hockey arena. Um, what a game changer, I would imagine. Oh, man, it's it's so exciting. Uh, I'm just happy that I don't have to keep it a secret anymore. <laughs> uh, How many questions did you get about it uh, over the last couple of days? I mean, not only the last couple of days, but the last since I've been, you know, since April yeah. of uh, 21 when, when Phil hired me, it's... It, you know, when's the new building coming? When's the new building coming? Right. Oh, I don't know. I just coming. You know, it's, yeah. it's above my pay grade. All that <laughs> stuff, right? I tried to be as creative as I could in terms of what what the answer was, uh, but the secret was killing me inside, not to tell anybody. And yeah. um, it's exciting for our alums. Hockey's never been played on campus. Uh, I'm excited for our fans that'll have a place to go that they can call home. Yeah. I'm excited for our student body, a uh, place that they can walk to. 
right. and watch high-level hockey, high-level basketball. Uh, I'm excited for our student athletes that'll play in it. Uh, the opportunity to develop and grow in first class facility with amenities. Yeah. And I'm excited for our future because I think it'll attract some of the best, not only in our state, um, but across the country as well. Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, the state of hockey, right? Everybody knows that. And that means there's a lot of talent here too. But that also means this is where a lot of people come for that talent. You got to have those facilities to help compete on that area. Yeah. I mean, you look at the five division one programs in our state, Bemidji state has a brand new facility over the last 10 years. Mankato's done an unbelievable job with their facility. We, you know, the U is the U. Yeah. Uh, St. Cloud's upgraded their facility. Um, and uh, who am I missing here? Duluth has yeah. got a brand new building in the last, you know, six, seven years as well. So we're, we're a little bit late to the game, but I think it's going to be pretty special. And uh, um, it's going to be a fun time here uh, for not only hockey, but for everybody associated with, uh, with St. Thomas. All right. So uh, I'm going to ask you some uh, quick fire questions here. Uh, you've only been on campus for a couple of years, but do you have a favorite spot on campus? Um. I like walking through the arches. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty special. Uh, to think of the people that have gone through there mm-hmm. um, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, favorite food? My favorite food? Yeah. Well, obviously, the, the easy answer is pasta, right? I'm you got to say, right? So I got to say my mom's lasagna. <laughs> there you go. That is the most Italian answer ever. Yeah, if you wouldn't have answered that, then you might have lost your Italian <laughs> For <card>. sure. <laughs> I've got one in the freezer right now, too. Yeah. My mom's. My mom brought over at Thanksgiving. See? Really nice. Yeah. Uh, the question is, why has it lasted this long? Uh, good question. I think I forgot about it until now. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell her. <laughs> Favorite movie? Favorite movie. Oh, man. Uh, there's so many good movies that, you know, I think our generation, uh, and I speak for the 50-year-olds now, um, we were privileged to so many good movies in the eighties and nineties, you know, from the top guns to, you know, river runs through it, all that stuff. Right. Young blood and Hoosiers and bull Durham. I mean, some of these guys don't understand how good those movies were. So I don't know that I have a favorite. I've got a couple of go-tos wedding crashers, maybe anything with Will Ferrell makes me laugh is, (laughs) is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, see, and the lasagna would match well, right? Doesn't he? Where's the lasagna? Where's the lasagna, Mom? Yeah, that's right. Ah! <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite album or band? Bon Jovi. Yeah. Got to be an Italian. Yeah. Man, you're staying true. I like it. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, how about uh, book or author? You know, again, when I, when I try to read, I try to read to get better. So a lot of the leadership books – you know, whether it's Gordon or Lencioni and, and things like that, that's what kind of drives me. I'm not really a recreational reader. Sure. My wife's that. Uh, but I, I try to pick something up that's going to help me become a better a better coach and a better person. So a lot of the leadership books I'll, I'll you know, I'll dive into. Yeah. Let's segue off of that for a second. Leadership, especially over the last 20 years, has changed a lot in terms of what it means to be an effective leader, whether viewed from the outside or inside. What are some of the biggest ways that you think it has changed? Well, you know, I think ultimately you still have to be who you are. You have to be authentic. And, and being authentic to me is really important. 
Uh, it was important then, but it's probably more important now with so much out there, so much knowledge that these athletes have today. Uh, you really got to know your stuff and you've mm-hmm. got to be who you are and you got to be true to that. Be open and honest. Um, so that, uh, that authentic approach, I think, is really important. And then, you know, to me, the love, to show that love where it might have been a little bit um, taboo Mm-hmm. to say the love word in a locker room back in the 80s and 90s, 70s, even yeah. before that, I think is really important today when, when student athletes know that you're coming from a good place and that you're in it with them and that you'll do anything to help them get to the, you know, to the level that they think they can get to, um, then I, and then I think it's, um, you're in a good place. So, uh, but you have to explain everything yeah. and you've got to know your stuff. And you've got to be willing to be patient. Um, and the dictatorship that might have worked back in uh, in the old days doesn't work anymore. And so everything has got to come from a good place. Everything's got to come from a place of love. Now, I will say that accountability is still important. Yes. And they want that. They want that structure. They want that accountability. You just got to come a- around it a little bit differently. Rico, great chatting with you. Appreciate your time. Best of luck uh, the rest of this year and beyond. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir.